Hey everyone, AJ Venegas here, Director of Life Groups and Discipleship. We are here talking about sacred selfies and our conversation is about identity today. We'll be looking at Colossians 3 verses 5 through 10. And so with that, let's go deeper. We're sitting here with Pastor Danny uh, for a second straight week. So, Pastor Danny, welcome back to the hot seat to answer some more questions about identity. Thanks for inviting me back on your podcast. So, let me reiterate some of the verses that we're going through. I want to read them through. And then, traditionally, I would have broken them down verse by verse. But today, we're going to pick some verses apart and combine them. And you'll see what's going on when we get into this. So, without further ado, Colossians 3, verses 5 to 10. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10. And so what I want to do is pick apart some of these verses because I think the most forward-facing thing about these passages are what's called the vice lists. And so you saw them in verse five, put to death all these things. And you saw it also in verse eight, but you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. And it has a long list of vices. And this isn't the only time we see vices and virtues in the scriptures being listed out like this. It was a very popular thing at the time the Bible was written. But um, we can learn a lot actually by comparing and contrasting the vice lists and the virtues list that we see in the scriptures. So here we have a vice list and I'm wondering, Pastor Danny, if you learned anything in your studies when you compared this vice list in Colossians with some of the other ones like in Galatians or Ephesians or first Corinthians. Yeah. I think of like a Galatians, like the, the deeds of the flesh are obvious and it kind of lists all these bad things that happen when you're living in the flesh. Uh, this passage felt different to me in in two ways. One, it feels like, and I really can't put complete words on this, but but it feels like we see more of a mix in Colossians three of desires and behaviors. So we're like a Galatians six is kind of like, okay, if you've got, if you're letting your flesh take over, here's the bad things you're going to do in Colossians three. It almost like I get this image more of like, you've been, you have this poison inside of you and it's like causing you to lash out and it's like in you and there's this like desires and it's like you, you have this like your part monster. I keep picturing like Jekyll and Hyde or something. <laughs> um, and so it does feel like this, these vice lists is describing more like this this life where we're supposed to be Christians, but there's still stuff mostly inside of us that is popping up on the outside. So it feels less like a list of bad things Christians might do 
and more of like these, these bad desires and states that we live in where we're like, we're greedy. We're desiring these bad things. We're sexually immoral. We're just like, can't control ourselves. Like what is wrong with me? It feels more like this seething monster person as opposed to just here's a checklist of 10 things Christians shouldn't do. Hmm. I especially see that in the first one where it's more like, wow, that's really intense, especially as he's addressing believers. And then that second list of vices seems a little more like the classic, you know, also these things, right? Anger and rage. But even then it's like, we're talking about rage and desire related issues. So especially that first vice list, it feels more like, man, it's like a, I don't know. I just picture this Christian that is like this, um, this bull that is just like bucking and like (laughs) frothing at the mouth and like, just, whoa, you need to calm down. Right. So that's the picture I get in this vice list. That's not very technically accurate, (laughs) but I just keep getting that image as I read through these, uh, these desires and behaviors. Yeah. I think it bears repeating that this is a list geared toward believers. I think Mm -hmm. that's pretty fascinating because it, it does bring out some really important, really powerful, really even shameful in our culture stuff like sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, all these things that have connotations. But again, it's geared toward Christians. And so in your sermon, you mentioned uh, and talked about how community and so is so important here and uh, being able to have somebody to talk to um, talk to about these certain things. And I'm just imagining people in the crowd going, there is no <laughs> way that I am ever going to share any of these deeply seated issues with anyone, no matter what it is, because it's just too hard. It's too shameful, whatever it is. Uh, there's just no way. I, I don't think I can ever trust anybody with this stuff. And so um, I wanted to just bear on that really quick because uh, I, I mean, I'm in the community department as well. And just, I know that's a really important part of community. What would you say to that person that is really having a hard time uh, bringing these things into the light? Yeah, I would empathize with that person because I get it. We're all, we all feel that way. I don't, I can't think of one person I've ever met who's like, I love sharing my (laughs) deepest sins with other people. I'm also not saying you should go and share your deepest sins with all the people, right? But um, I think what I really would like kind of turn the corner with somebody and share is, Honestly, I I cannot think of any case in my ministry, 20, what, 23 years of ministry where I've seen someone conquer sin at a deep level Hmm. without confessing it to another believer. Hmm. As I was thinking through my sermon, okay, who do I know that has been victorious? Even telling stories of like, hey, I used to be like this, but now I'm not, right? Once they're at a place where they're comfortable sharing what they used to be like. Mm Every case I thought of in my study, every person I've dealt with lately, transformation happens the moment they bring it into the light in front of another person. And I think part of that's anecdotal. That's what I've seen. I've, I know a lot of other people where it's like, I'm the only one who knows about their sin because I'm a pastor and they told me and they never get out of it. It destroys their marriage. It destroys their life. And I just think if you would just tell someone besides me who like you will find healing, but they don't. So I see people not getting healing by keeping things in. I see people staying in cycles of sin for years and years because they convince themselves I can get out of this without sharing it. I don't need to tell anyone. They never do. And I see people experience real victory on the other side of confession, not just to God, but to someone else. And finally, I would say it's biblical. And this is James chapter five, confess your sin one to another and you will be healed. 
And I think as Western Protestant Christian people, we tend to kind of turn a blind eye to a passage like that that says, if you want to experience healing in your sin, you confess your sin to another person, um, which I know we like, we're scared to confess to priests. We're scared of the confessional booth of the Catholic church. Right. And yet James five is no less applying to us than Catholic folks or Mm -hmm. Eastern Orthodox folks. Like Mm -hmm. the prescription in the scriptures for finding healing from your sin is bringing it into the light before God and trusted members of the Christian community. And so if this is the prescription, if you want to find healing, you got to find someone that you can trust and bring it open to them. Yeah, the Sunday sermon was really weighty. And so we want to acknowledge that right off the bat because these next two skeptical questions uh, carry a lot of that weight. And so I was noticing when I was reading this language, uh, um, last week we talked about uh, you have died uh, being that key. And then it reiterates this put to death, therefore, uh, language. Um, also, it's it's talking about putting to death uh, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And if you look at those words, it, it's often talking about like physical atrophy of a corpse um, in this earthly nature, talking about like interactions via, you know, your body itself. And so this skeptical question um, is what do you say to a person that says, okay, we've been talking about that we have this new heavenly identity, this new union with Christ in the heavenly realms. And here I am struggling tremendously with these earthly desires. My earthly nature is just really hard. And now I see this uh, call to put to death this earthly nature. I'm wondering if people may take that too far and say like, okay, maybe existence will be better for me if I actually do physically put to death my earthly nature in favor of a better existence in the heavenly realm. What would you say to somebody who is maybe starting to think that way? Well, I think it depends on, on why they're bringing that forward. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for you know, we're thinking the last couple of weeks about folks who contemplate suicide at a, mm-hmm. a, a deep and true level of like, they're thinking, okay, maybe this is, my best option. And my heart has gone out to folks in that state of mind and uh, in light of these texts, because I I think one of the things that we learn in this text is what that person in that moment is believing deeply is, okay, maybe life can be found at the end of myself. Hmm. And this text is actually teaching that that's true, but is saying like in the gospel, you can do that by through avoiding death. You can actually find life without having to go through death by experiencing resurrection in the midst of this life. And so if I was talking to someone who was contemplating suicide, right, besides helping them connect with the help that, that I would hope that that could help them in that case. um, If we were talking theology of, I feel like I I would want to be able to say, Hey, this, this desire in you that you feel like is only going to be fulfilled through death That's what Christ did is he allowed Mm. you to experience life without going through death Mm -hmm. through this concept of resurrection. This idea of life emerges in the midst of this life. You don't have to go back and be born again. You don't have to go forward and die. You can die and be born again right now. This Mm. freedom that you want can be found without going through that. Most of the time, a skeptic would bring this question. They wouldn't be contemplating suicide. Right. They would be saying, "Well, I mean, if this is true, then right, then yeah, I mean, yeah. I might as well just kill myself." Right. right it's like, right. and that just feels like, okay, well, that's not a real question because right. uh, 
that's part of the problem is like, mm. sure, right? For the sake of argument, you might as well hear stuff, but you don't want to, right? Because you still have one foot in this world and you're talking about having another foot in the next world, which is exactly what Paul is talking about. This idea of, um, right, since then, uh, read, verse, read verse five for us again. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Yeah, so this, this in the Greek, the, whatever belongs to your earthly na- nature, the, the Greek word here is members. So it brings up this, this body image again. It almost feels like you're a person who has like one foot in heaven and one foot on earth, right? You're like, or maybe one foot, two hands, and like you're clinging to heaven, <laughs> but there's one part of you that's still stuck on earth that, yes, you are da- dead, but your corpse is still like not dead, right? Um, and so really the, the, the passage brings up that problem of what do you do when you're stuck between heaven and earth? Mm. And it's like, you need to just get into a heavenly mindset in Mm. verses one through five, but you can't let go of this earthly reality. And I would say to a skeptic who's like, well, I mean, I might as well die if I wanted to understand this. I'd say you're exactly demonstrating this tension in this passage is that uh, you're stuck between heaven and earth and you don't know where to turn. And Mm. so Paul gives us a way to answer this question without your uh, jump to conclusion suicide analogy. Um, You can find life in the midst of this life by putting to death that which belongs to your earthly nature here and finding union with Christ while you're still on this earth. Mm. Well, if that wasn't heavy enough for our <laughs> See, like, This is just the start. <laughs> the next verse in verse six, because of these, uh, referencing this list of vices, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God, obviously a um, really important phrase for a lot of people. A lot of people uh, outside of the church will look at that and say, how could a loving God be wrathful? How could there be even wrath if you call this God all good, all, all knowing all this um, accusations being f- flown around, but then inside the church as well. Um, some people really um, want to hear that wrath of God sermon, um, using it to, you know, force people to change in some sort of ways. Um, and yet it feels like we are trying to find this uh, maybe a tension or a medium of, Hey, we have to acknowledge that it's there because it is in the words of scripture. And so I'm wondering how you um, have wrestled with um, the wrath of God. And then two, how have you wrestled with how do you want to share that with the congregation here at Three Crosses? Yeah, it's interesting in this passage, you know, we kind of joke that, okay, now it gets real heavy. But but as I studied this passage, I actually think this is the verse where it starts to get lighter um, here when he says, because of these things, the wrath of God has come or is coming. And in the next verse where he says, this is how you used to live in the ways that you once walked. Um, and I, I think it's important to note that as Paul's talking to these Christian people, um, I don't think that the, that the tone he's taking is like, because you're doing this, God's about to smite you. <laughs> right. I think he's really kind of taking a step back and like turning the telescope around a little bit um, and just kind of helping them get a little bit of a clarity around the behavior and the desires that they have. Right. So when we think about the wrath of God, we think of passages like Genesis six, where God brings the flood on the earth. And it says that God is sad that he made humankind because he looks at just um, all a lot of the things on this vice list, all the stuff that that humans have fallen into. We think of passages in the Old Testament where God brings his wrath down on cities. We think of um, heinous crimes that are committed in the scriptures where God's wrath pours down. We say, mm-hmm. think of Jesus on the cross, the wrath of God in its fullness coming upon Jesus for the sin of the world. And there's this heavy, sober-minded sadness when we think, man, 
There are times and seasons where sin is so heavy and we're reminded of it that God's wrath becomes uh, evident in this world and leveraged against this world. We think of Jesus talking about coming in judgment in the future and the wrath of God coming in full. And our hearts break when we think of a a world that um, has earned the wrath of God and a world that is receiving the wrath of God as the due penalty for their sins. And Paul is reminding these people, these behaviors that you're participating in and these illicit desires in your heart, these are the types of things that have that bring the wrath of God on the earth. Like you're mm. you're acting like the people in Genesis chapter six. You're acting like the people in uh, these different Old Testament narratives. You're acting uh, in ways that brought sin to bear on Jesus. You're acting uh, in ways that's going to bring forth the judgment of God at the end of time. I don't think he's saying you're about to get judged for your behavior. I think he's saying you're living in the ways of people who are earning the destruction of God, when you are in fact the people uh, who've been granted forgiveness by God and are living in his favor, and yet you're living in, in a way that is so uncharacteristic of who you truly are. And I think he does the same thing in the next verse where he says, this is how you used to live. These are the ways you used to walk in when you were not in the light. Why are you walking in the ways of people who don't understand, who have not been saved, who don't understand the beauty of the gospel and the gift of forgiveness and grace? You're acting like like them, like you're ignorant of the truth. And so I actually don't think he's trying to ratchet it up through saying you're about to get the wrath. Right. I think it's kind of a like it's a an intervention where he's saying, what are you doing? what are you even doing Hmm. in the grand scheme of things? Think about the types of people in human history who have acted like this and what they've earned for themselves. You've received heaven for yourself and you're acting like this. Why are you acting like this? Yeah. So he brings it to a close in uh, verses nine and 10. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is sort of what you're referencing, this new way of living. Why? What are you doing? Which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. And so I want to focus on a couple of things because we have been talking about identity in this sacred selfie series and a couple of things pop out. Um, first, what's not said here. Um, usually when you find Paul talking about how um, how to live, you see reference to keeping in step with the Spirit. Follow the Holy Spirit. Here is the fruit of the Spirit. I think of Galatians 5 there. Um, and significantly, it's, it's absent in these conversations. And so that's one thing I recognize. And then the second thing, uh, that last phrase, in knowledge, in the image, of its creator. And there's that image language again. We set the foundation in January talking about Imago Dei, image of God. And so I'm wondering, what is what is Paul doing here to wrap things up, um, speaking about just identifying that we have this new self and then tying it to conversations about the image, the image of God? I think on this, the spirit question, you know, on one hand, I always want to be cautious about making an argument from silence, right? Why doesn't he talk about this one thing? It's like, (laughs) I don't know why he doesn't. But um, one thing that you had mentioned, AJ, is that normally when he's talking about how 
to conquer sin and live righteously, he talks about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I do want to point out that in this passage, Paul is not talking about how to conquer sin. He doesn't actually get into the practical. He doesn't talk about how to do this, right? If you remember the sermon on Sunday, the application points weren't from the passage. They were, for me, just kind of like, hey, here's some next steps that you could take if you're being Mm. convicted on these things, because this passage doesn't get into the how. Really, this passage, if there was one word that I feel like Paul is trying to get us to, to activate through this passage, the word is repent. And it's like he's just making a rational plea that folks would stop this behavior and change. He doesn't tell them how to change, right? But it's really just kind of, um, it's time for you to stop, to put to death, to put off, to cast aside this junk, this garbage in your life. One of the definitions of repentance that's been most helpful to me is that repentance is a change of mind so complete that it results in a change of behavior. And I, I do think this this word mind in the, we talked about this last week, the, the word mind in the Greek New Testament um, and in the Greco-Roman world is uh, usually connected to like our emotions and our thoughts. Like that's what mind is, where the word heart, cardia, is like our emotions, our thoughts, and our will. And so it's interesting to me that, that he talks about um, being transformed or renewed in our mind into the image of God um, in verse 10. Reminds me of Romans 8, where he says, don't don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, same kind of concept, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. So in the same way in Colossians 3, he's not giving them a list of here's what to do. He's almost saying, okay, you're living this ridiculous, uh, sinful, terrible way. I need your mind to change about what you're doing right now. Mm. And I believe that if your mind changes, uh, you're going to start being transformed. And that's going to affect not just your mind, but your heart, which includes your will. And then your behavior will result. And then you'll need to walk by the spirit. So on the spirit question, I don't think he gets to the how. And then on the renewed into the image of our creator thing, I think it, A, it ties back into this concept from Colossians 1 of Christ is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 3, 1 through 5, where we are hidden in him. So in Christ, we are transforming into his image. And so I do think that's kind of where it starts to overlap with this be filled with the spirit concept um, is because in the New Testament, we when we hear these teachings on being filled with the spirit, it's almost like we are this like Play-Doh mold. And the, the trick is to get to a place where the spirit is like permeating every aspect of this Play-Doh mold that is our lives. And yet in this passage, when he's talking about Christ, it's almost flipped where it's you are hidden in Christ and your job is to transform so that you kind of fill this mold called Christ that is your life. And so in a sense, he's kind of building some of these same images, uh, but flipped in reverse, building this picture of you're in Christ, find your life in him versus the spirits in you. Let your spirit fill, let the spirit fill you. So all that to say. I think Paul is trying to get us to a point of repentance, not teach us how to live righteously. And I think what he's teaching us is that living righteously starts with changing our mind about our sin and realizing what is true about us in the heavenly places so that we can find our union in Christ and experience transformation as our minds are renewed into his image. Which would totally make sense for a church that's struggling with all these different teachings and 
being filled with different things in the mind. And then chapter three comes and says, seek the things above, set your mind on the things above. And so uh, I think that's the beauty of reading scripture in totality, not picking apart different verses. So um, you said at the beginning of the series that we are going to take this journey through Colossians three, and then we're going to take a little bit of a detour. And that detour, I believe, is coming up in next week and the couple weeks following that. Could you give us a preview of where this detour is going uh, so people can get excited about this series? Yeah, there's a, a concept in uh, Colossians 3 here that Paul also makes in a different place in the New Testament uh, that this verse kind of becomes a jumping off point for us. And it's the next verse from where we've read today, verse 11, where he says, Here in the, in the church of Jesus, there's no Gentile or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And this is related to the, the Galatians verse where he talks about this in Christ, neither male nor female, slave nor free, kind of does some of the same stuff. And really what, what Paul starts to do is kind of take some of these identity concepts of the of the Greco-Roman world, um, whether it's socioeconomic status, gender, uh, racial identity. Um, and he says, hey, in the church, we all are equal at the foot of the cross. And and this is a complicated subject, right? Because we know that we're still men or women, even in the church. There's teachings on that in the New Testament as well. And, and yet we want to wrestle with, for the next three weeks, these, these kind of broad strokes of it in terms of our gender, in terms of our race and ethnicity, and in terms of our vocation, our class, whatever it is, how we identify ourselves. Uh, what does it mean that on one hand, we are these things, right? I, I do have my ethnic heritage. I do have my gender. I do have the vocation I do. But on the other hand, what does it mean that there's none of that in the church? Hmm. How do we right. live in these tensions? And and I'm looking forward to talking about these things because I think there are things that we wrestle with a lot in culture that the scripture teaches about and that there is a tension to be found in embracing who God has created us to be mm-hmm. uh, on purpose or um, that is part of us that in heaven, we're going to be male or female in heaven. We're going to, uh, there's going to be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. We still retain this ethnic concept in heaven. Um, and yet, yeah, what does it mean when he says, no, 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 here in the church, we're all, we are all one in Christ Jesus. So we're going to wrestle through those concepts the next few weeks. Yeah. Such a relevant conversation. So I'm really excited. Hopefully you, uh, keep tuning in and join us on those conversations. Um, uh, Pastor Danny. Thanks so much for episode two here. I'm looking forward to episode three.